Thank you for joining me again for the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. This part two episode is being brought to you by Axness. Their mission, wireless intercom. When lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Check them out today at axness.com. And now we are back for part two with my Finn brother from class 1000, United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 502, Mr. Matt Deason. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is the Real Rescue Podcast. Good time. All right. Well, let's bring us up to Kodiak, Alaska, because that was your next unit. Um, when you get there, uh, we're going to actually go over two of your award rescue cases up there. And uh, let me bring those up. So this is the first award you got. You earned yourself a Coast Guard Commendation Medal for a rescue. Uh, let me just get right into it. And then uh, and then you bring us through it from there, all right? Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Commendation Medal to Matthew J. Thiessen, Aviation Survival Technician, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Pastor Thiessen is cited for outstanding achievement while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6509 on 27 February 2008. Early that morning, the crew was dispatched from Cold Bay, Alaska to evacuate a severely injured crewman suffering from head trauma and multiple seizures from the fishing vessel tradition, 11 miles south of Unimac Island. Utilizing the hour-long transit, he prepared the cabin for hoisting operations while briefing the flight mechanic on the procedures for deployment and recovery of the injured mariner. Arriving on scene, Pastor Thiessen readied the litter and courageously deployed in gusty 40-knot winds, blinding snow squalls, and 15-foot seas to the heaving vessel. While on deck, he quickly forced his attention on examining the patient, collecting valuable information regarding the crewman's health, which expedited treatment and recovery despite being knocked off his feet several times in the tumultuous conditions. With the helicopter's fuel status becoming critically low, Pasatisan commonly guided the 55-foot fishing vessel into position, enabling the safe hoist of the patient from the small obstacle-laden area near the pilot house. Once back in the Coast Guard helicopter, he continued treating the injured patient despite frequent moderate turbulence during the transmit to Cole Bay and then transferring to a waiting life flight aircraft. His professionalism and decisive actions were instrumental in saving the lives of this critical ill mariner. Pasatisan's dedication, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dude, that is awesome. Holy shit. All right. Good Take one. us through it, man. How long did you be in Kodiak at that point? Because that's 2008. Uh, that was four, That was my fourth year in Kodiak. So I did first three on the 60 side. And then okay. I did two, switched over to Alpat. So this case was with 65s. 
2008, 2009, I was without that. Nice. So I might actually be jumping ahead with it. You know what? We're going to come back. What happened with this case? This case was the the one thing that was uh, that, that stuck out the most was the weather. We were getting, we took off. We thought about um, postponing until uh, first light because the weather was so crappy. But judging by the weather and how it had been the last couple of days, we didn't think it was going to improve any by first light. So we just decided to go. Um, and it was so it was so windy that we were basically crabbing the whole time. And if you don't know what crabbing is, you're you're flying pretty much sideways because the the the, sh the wind shear kicks the plane into it, nose into it, like you're weather vaning, right? To keep to keep going in a certain direction, kind of wow. like tacking with a with a sailboat, right? Um, but the, the uh, one of the tough uh, things with crabbing is as the nose of the helicopter turns, uh, the sweep of radar in front of you, um, you lose a little bit of that because now you're you're traveling so many degrees to one direction or the other, right? But your uh, the radar only swings so much. So you know, yeah. Your radar isn't 360 degrees around the plane. So we were crabbing so much that we were missing our radar picture of a lot of the stuff that was off to the right of us as we were transiting. Um, come to find out, we flew the same track a couple days later when the weather had gotten better. And we were, it was, so, the visibility was so low that we were, we were, we had to fly low and slow um, over the water. But uh, we were, after we ran that track, uh, we realized how close we were coming to terrain, mountains that were coming up out of the ocean. So we we stayed over water the whole time, and we thought we were keeping a good, safe distance from these cliffs. But after flying the same track, uh, when the weather was better, we realized that we were coming. We came uh, dangerously close to some cliffs on the way out. Um, when we got out there, the waves were uh, so big. We were taking it was, the boat was taking green water over the top. Uh, which, oh wow! It was solid. There wasn't just a, deeper it was it was a uh, thick waves coming over the front um i don't really remember the details of going down to the boat but once i got down on the boat i remember i go i went down in into um the cabin and they had put this guy he had taken a header down the stairs landed head first at the bottom of the stairs and the the head was or the toilet was right at the bottom of the stairs. So we basically went headfirst down the stairs into the bathroom and smashed the toilet with his head. Oh. Um, so, and and messed up his back and his neck and whatever. And they had moved him into uh, one of the birthing quarters, which was bunks and definitely no room for a litter. So I I brought the, uh, the uh, backboard in there, but the backboard still was too tight. So I, we had to do a couple uh, strategic moves to get him onto the backboard. I brought him up out of the cabin and then put him in the litter and hoisted him up and out of there. But uh, yeah, it was, the boat was moving and uh, we, were, we were getting wet. I remember he, I had him in a uh, hypothermic bag, a wiggy bag. Yeah. And uh, we were taking so much, 
so much water over but by the time we got up the helo that he was drenched and it was just it was it was a, a, a wet mess for sure well heck you're at 15 foot waves rolling on this boat That's yeah what, it's a it's a 55 foot fishing vessel so it like when you start talking like 15 foot waves with a 55 foot fishing vessel it's not yeah the waves are a, a third the size of the boat yeah <laughs> yeah Dude, it's rolling. It's pitching and rolling all day long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my mm -hmm. god. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Where did you? And you guys went back to Cole Bay and dropped them off. Back to Cole Bay. Yeah, that was pretty standard. We usually uh, there's a little clinic there, but uh, usually we'd have Life Flight pop in there too for more serious uh, situations like this. So yeah, we, he he got Life Flighted out of there. Oh my gosh, dude! <laughs> Holy shit! Well done to you and the crew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Damn, man. All right. I'm going to go to the next one. All right. Okay. You actually have two of them. Like I said, another combination medal. Uh, let me bring it up. 2009. Here's the write-up. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Combination Medal, Gold Star in lieu of second to Matthew J. Thiessen, Aviation Survival Technician, First Class, United States Coast Guard. Pedersen Thiessen is cited for heroic achievement while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6573 on 30 January 2009. In the pre-dawn hours, the crew was dispatched from Cold Bay, Alaska to evacuate a severely injured crew member with severe head trauma from the fishing vessel Kodiak. Vertigo-inducing weather with blowing snow, 100-foot ceilings, zero visibility, and icing conditions forced a crew to make the 90-mile transit through mountainous terrain at only 150 feet above the water. Once overhead the fishing vessel Kodiak, the crew determined a dead-in-the-water hoist, although the most difficult, would be the safest. During the first deployment attempt, the large seas and 30-knot winds caused Pedersen to swing with great force impacting the crane. The mission could have been aborted, but after assessing his injuries, Pedersen courageously decided to continue without the stability of the trail line, a maneuver never practiced due to the extreme risk associated with such a maneuver. The second attempt was successful, but as the patient was being hoisted, the extreme conditions again compromised the swing of the litter with the deck hand inside toward the pilot house. Pedersen quick reactions stabilized the litter and prevented further injury to the patient. Once back on board the helicopter, he stabilized the injured crew members rapidly decreasing heart rate during the transit back to Cole Bay and transferred him to the awaiting life flight aircraft. His professionalism and decisive actions were instrumental in saving the lives of this critically ill mariner. Pedersen's dedication, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest vision of the United States Coast Guard. Bro, this is like a repeat from the first one a year earlier. What? Yeah, almost almost identical. Launching out of Cold Bay, pretty much the same region, uh, very similar tracks that we took out there. The weather was different. It was, it was dark. I remember that being the one thing that stood out to me, it was so incredibly dark. Um, 
It was like, you know, if if you had a flashlight and you turned it on and you aimed it out into the darkness, you wouldn't see the beam. It was just the light was being swallowed up. Um, it, wow. If you ha ever had one of those nights where it's just you just, you know, you have your, your landing hover lights on and you can barely see the water below you kind of thing. So we get on scene and uh, it, there was snow. It was snowing, um, but it was so, and, and maybe that's why it was so dark. The snow was helping absorb the light or something. I don't know. But we show up and all we can see is the deck of the boat and it being as dark as it, as it was. It just looked like it was just hovering out in space because the deck lights, you, you can you could barely make out the water around the boat. And we had our, our landing hover lights on and our searchlight. And it was just the the deck of that boat that you could see. You couldn't see the bow of the boat. You couldn't see the fantail. It was just this crab boat deck. And it was the, the classic setup that you see on like the deadliest catch, how they have the big crane and then the section area where they, they work with the, uh, the big eight by eight uh, whatever crab pots and a, and a dumping area. Um, uh, but that's all you could see. And I, so I, we're coming in and I'm in the door getting ready to deploy. And this was, I would say it's probably the only case where I felt this uneasiness. I just didn't like it. You know, I was like, what the heck am I doing here? This something was off. So um, we come down and uh, I come to find out, find out later that the flight mech, uh, he, he had been around for a couple of years, but this was his first SAR case, first live hoist in a, in a live operational uh, situation. He had wow. only done tra only training hoist. Didn't know that at the time, though. Um, good friend of mine, Blaze Potts. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he said he learned a lot from this case also. But uh, so they lower me down. <laughs> yeah, lower they lower me down, and and I I'm going down, and we're probably just hanging off the side of the port side of the ship, uh, maybe 20 feet, and they lower me down, and I level off just at the top of of the gunwale, and um, I'm sig I'm signaling them to move in, and they're inching in, inching in, and then they're backing off. Okay, so I'm, I continue to signal, go this way, go over here. They creep in. I get just maybe a foot from, from the railing, and they back off again. Come to find out that every time that pilot would get to just that point, he was losing the target under his butt. And since it was so dark, he had no other references. I didn't know that um, at that time. So I'm I'm just I'm signaling. I'm like, what, what the heck is going on? I had a I had a trail line. The plan was for me to go down, get on deck. Um, the trail line was already hooked on to the small hook on the hoist. I was going to get down, disconnect, send the trail line up to retrieve the litter because it was such a uh, dynamic uh, hoisting environment. So they finally get me up over the hand railing, but they had also come up a little bit and the flight mech hadn't lowered me down. So now we're maybe three feet above where I had asked to be leveled off. I wanted to be leveled off so I'd come in and touch that handrail and have a, a positive point of contact so they could 
let me down and I'd, I'd be stable. But now I'm a couple feet above it. And uh, so they, they, I come over the deck and as, as I come over the deck, the flight neck lowers me down finally uh, below the handrail, but I'm not able to touch the deck. So I'm trying to stretch my legs out to try to get some kind of positive contact because now I'm starting to do this. Um, they're starting, starting to get like a, a gyro effect kind of thing where Big the oscillations. Yeah, like the plane was moving forward and I'd swing and then they'd come back and I, I think the pilot was trying to find his reference again. And I, st I start to get this swing, this pendulum going, and then I, I, I start heading across the deck super fast. The pilot had lost a reference. And I come up towards, towards this crane and then I feel the plane going back. I actually look up and I see the plane pulling back super fast and the pilot definitely had lost his reference and then he comes forward again so that crane that i swung towards uh the base of the crane uh the first swing now I'm, I'm back out over the side of the boat and then now i'm coming back at twice the speed and this crane it's i don't know it's it's a massive crane probably uh five five foot diameter crane with uh, bolts and rivets all around the flange where the uh, top of the crane connects to the base and it's covered with ice. And on the second swing, I'm coming in and I, and I'm actually kind of rotated coming in back first. So I, I know I'm going to hit it because I can see above me that the, the helicopter has not only uh, moved forward, but has moved forward uh, to a, a point where now I'm kind of looking up at the tail. So it, it had punched forward a good 20 feet and I know I'm going into this crane. So as I come into the crane, I kind of brace brace for it, but I have a, a, uh, enough, uh, I don't know, intuition or whatever you call it, uh, instincts to kind of do the gyro thing with my feet and get my feet turned just in time uh, before I hit it and I drive in with my right foot ended up um, found out later uh, I broke that foot and after oh I hit the crane, broke that one foot and then twisted in and my side impacted and broke broke some ribs uh, oh, didn't know it at the time I was yeah, I had I had adrenaline noise I didn't know it at the time um, came back to, uh, over the deck and I'm I'm just like what the hell is going on, and I'm I'm worried I don't want to hit that crane again, so I I uh, give the the wave off cancel, and they back off and the flight mech brings me up, um, and I think I may have actually turned and give flight mech uh, the bird. Uh, <laughs> what what the hell are you guys doing up there? I come up, I talk to the flight mech a little bit, but he didn't um, he didn't communicate to the pilots that I had hit anything so i'm talking to him like he's like are you okay like, yeah i'm okay he's like he, he let's let's go for it again but forget the trail line just get me down there on the deck and i had a couple words with him where i said don't wait for me to get to be in the perfect spot to put me down just when i'm over the deck drop me down right right because sometimes you wait for it to get better and it doesn't get better you just it, just gets worse and obviously that's what was going on in this situation so the second time 
wasn't as pretty, but they did finally get me down on deck. Um, ended up dumping me on one of the cross deck wires that, that holds the crab pots. But I disconnect and I walk over and this is just the beginning of the case. I just just got down on the boat, right? Uh, that's that's step one, get to the boat, get down on the deck. Um, I wa I'm walking over to these guys where the guy's laying, uh, the, the injured man's laying. And one of the one of the fellas says, he taps me on the shoulder, he's like, hey, how's that guy doing? I said, what, I, like what guy, what are you talking about? Like, the guy that hit the crane, I was like, I was like, that's me. He's like, it, his, he couldn't understand it. He's like, that guy hit the crane so hard, like he, he can't imagine that I, I it, that was me because he, he thought the guy would, whoever hit the crane obviously is not down on the boat walking around. He thought it was, uh, I don't know. So he Oh said, my God, Matt. He was like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, I am fine. But I had the adrenaline run through me. So I go and check out the patient and um, they say his head's crushed. And I, I pull up his hat and the guy's looking at me. He's talking, but I'm also looking at his, his brain, um, which is never a good thing, right? So I, it's not bleeding too much. So I put the hat back on and I say, okay, it's, it's go time. This guy really needs to get going. And we've spent way too much time just getting me down on this boat. So um, from there is kind of, uh, you know, just went through the motions, get the litter on deck, get the guy in the litter, hoist him up and out of there. Um, and yeah, uh, cruise back and yeah, life light him out of there. But Oh my God. So um, I, I'm injured, but I only had a couple days left of deployment. I kind of keep it for my pilots. I don't know. Uh, I'm like, I just suck it up. I didn't realize that I broke my foot or my ribs at the time. Um, but as the days go on, I'm, I'm uh, in pretty bad shape and get back to Kodiak and, and medical and come to find out, yeah, I had some, some pretty good injuries from that SAR case, but. Bro. Oh my God, dude. What the? Dude, that's insane. Yeah, that was a that was a wild one. Oh. Damn, man. You know what? I it's kind of interesting you're telling me this too. I just learned not too long ago. All the the guys in the UK they actually wear body armor. So for stuff like that, yeah, we, yeah like back and I, I could have used it. Could have used it. I mean, I, I had a dry suit on with uh, you know, with a fleece undergarments under there, but uh, yeah nothing no no body armor which i could have used yeah for sure not that it would have helped your ankle oh my god broken ankle no. and broken ribs Jeez. well not broken ankle broken broken foot just just behind the big toe so i went in oh. and i stomped i stomped basically to stop myself from stop the swing and it just flipped me and crunched it yeah wow man holy shit not a fun one not a fun one. Yeah, no doubt. On the back end with the pickup of the patient, or actually even the delivery of the litter. Um, yeah. Like no issues? Like uh, once they got you on deck, they're like, oh, okay, now now we got it? Or Actually, no. The, the pilot continued to have issues with maintaining a reference. Uh, when they moved in to pick up the litter, 
I had the trail line on there, luckily, but it it got swinging really, really uh, badly. And I had to stop it from running into the pilot house. It actually swung one time as it's coming up, swung up under the metal awning. And I, I, I was able to pull it back out from under the awning just before it went up and, and finally made it to the elo. So yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it was it was a definitely a, a hairy hoist for sure. The whole thing was hairy. Great word. The whole yeah. thing was hairy, dude. That's insane, is what that is. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, well done to you and your crew. Holy yeah. shit, man, bro. Yeah, yeah. Blaze Potts. He he. Uh, I talked to him. I ran into him several years after that, and. Uh, uh, he he had ended up being stationed out here in Elizabeth City, and I talked to him quite a bit about that. And he 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 learned a lot from that, and shared that with other flight mechs. And uh, yeah, so you know, silver lining. Yeah, yeah, there's things to be learned all the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, I I'm sorry you got injured on that one, but wow, badass, dude. Well done. Well done. Way to pull out of that one. Freaking sick, dude. All right. So I, I know, all right. So now you're you're in Alpat for two years. Prior to that, you're in Kodiak. Does anything stand out to you in Kodiak? Mm, I mean, it was the weather, the cold for sure, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but Kodiak, it, it was definitely a different operational tempo from new orleans it wasn't as you weren't getting as many cases uh and they're actually long long dry spells if you've been stationed kodiak you know what i'm talking about yep. you go weeks even months without anybody getting anything big but when they did have cases up there they were um it was it was the show it was they're they're super bowl cases yeah you know they're big oh no. yeah yeah, right and on, Alaska man. is so vast, you know, so, so the transits there, you're covering half the country sometimes, you know, half, half the size of the United States, and right. that's your Alaska AOR. I had a case, uh, I was on duty, it was uh, Larry Zonka was filming a fishing show, I don't know if you know Larry Zonka, I, do not. Uh, I think he's a Hall of Fame football player, um, uh, he had a fishing show. And uh, their boat was sinking way out the Aleutian chain. Um, transit out there was eight and a half hours, I think. So what ended up happening was oh my God. I was on duty. I flew the plane all the way out there, landed the plane. C-130 brought a second crew to do the mission. They do the mission. They get all the glory. They have all the fun. Uh, I think it was actually on the Discovery Channel, uh, that, that episode uh, with Larry Zonka. They come back, drop off a dirty plane for us. We get our rest, and we fly the plane all the way back. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> I had one of those ones there, too. Did you? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> totally did. Like, I'm Sorry, on duty. Bro. I'm on duty, and I'm not going to get to be the one that's doing the hoisting. Come on. Oh my god. Yeah. It's all good, you know. It's all you're good. part of the mission. Yep. It's all good. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's how it falls. One sometimes you're the guy being called at home, sometimes you're the guy that 
Got to ferry the aircraft. Yep. Yep. Dude, that's funny. All right. Well, uh, outside of one other one that you earned in Alaska, which we're going to talk about later, um, you then leave to Hawaii. Yes. So in Hawaii, um, there's a a award that I want to talk about, and that is this is where you earned your second achievement medal. So this is what this one says. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Achievement Medal, Gold Star in lieu of second to Matthew J. Thiessen, Aviation Survival Technician, First Class, United States Coast Guard. Pastor Thiessen is cited for superior performance of duty while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6571 on 6 January 2012. At approximately 1230, Air Station Barbers Point received a call from the District 14 Command Center requesting the launch of the 865 to respond to the Kilo Moana, a 186-foot University of Hawaii research vessel taking on water approximately 60 miles north of Oahu. Pedersen volunteered to be part of the second crew and quickly began response preparations. Once on scene, The Kilo Moana was found dead in the water with opposing winds and experiencing a combined list and roll of 20 degrees, making a hoist from any position difficult. Pedersen rapidly assessed the situation using experienced risk management principles to make the final decision to deploy. He cautiously descended while simultaneously guiding the dewatering punt around several hazards, including an 85-foot whip antenna, deck fittings, and an anchor chain and block. Once on board, his expertise was immediately showcased as he repaired a seized dewatering pump, started a fourth pump, and managed the relentless flooding. Along with his fellow rescue swimmer, He painstakingly rotated four pumps between three decks of the vessel and monitored oxygen levels in the confined space to ensure crew safety and prevent pump failure. He clearly relayed the conditions and challenges to his pilots, enabling the decision to retrieve a jet inductor and proved instrumental in controlling the flooding. In addition, Pedersen provided training to the vessel's crew in the operation of the dewatering pumps enabling effective flood control for 16-hour transit back to port. His efforts directly contributed to protecting $54 million of public property and assisting 40 lives. Pastor Thiessen's diligence, perseverance, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Holy shit, dude. $54 million boat. Sinking. Yes, that's not a cheap boat, is it? <laughs> four pumps between three levels, and you're helping dewater that sucker. Holy. Well, God. yeah, four four pumps uh, down three decks with the inline inductor, deductor, and the bilge going. And without that inline inductor, we actually had that transferred over. Uh, a plane went and grabbed it off the Coast Guard cutter Ahi, I believe. They uh, donated their their inline inductor. And uh, without that, we we wouldn't have made any headway on it because what we had going, the pumps that we get, had going in there, it was a pump rodeo. Um, uh, it was uh, Elima Mayava was my other brother on on this case. He got there. Wait, who was it? Elima Mayava. 
Nah, I don't know him. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He, nice. He's stick. He was a stand team chief, and now he's out in uh, Barber's Point. Back out in Barber's Point, uh, making Weird. senior chief now. So. Ah, good. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he's he's got it good. So he deserves it though. Um, but yeah, we uh, he got out there about an hour and a half before I did, um, just after lunch, and then they, I think they only took one pump with him, um, and the ship had a pump. And uh, they needed more pumps. And since they're taking two more pumps, I said, you guys need any help? I, it was uh, coming up on the end of the shift and people were heading home. But, uh, you know, I just thought I'd hop in and help out with this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a fun one. This was this was, this was was a fun case. Uh, it was a very unique case. Uh, we never touched the water, but we were outfitted to. We were both wearing wetsuits. Uh, Alima made the mistake of wearing a full body suit, though. Um, <laughs> it, it was a hot day, and I think he he dehydrated himself uh, on this case. Uh, he had a full suit that he, he when I showed up, he had rolled his his legs up and rolled his sleeves back, but uh, he was just he was he was drenched. So um, it was it was it was a warm day, but it was even hotter down down uh, where we were working the pumps. We had pumps that we had to run indoors um, in the cabin area uh, because just the the space uh, wouldn't uh, allow us with the suction hoses and the discharge hoses to set them up outside. It, it was three decks down, so we um, had to get them close enough to the source of the flooding. Um, so it was basically down into uh, just next to the engine room. Uh, a little scuttle in the deck where we had these hoses going down into the flooding area. And uh, a couple of the deck crew guys down there um, were doing damage control. So uh, Elima and I, we didn't have to go down into the actual flooded space, but we were on the deck above it and we were just managing these pumps. And um, it seemed like just once we would get one pump running, the pump that had been running before it would seize up or it lose it's uh lose the suction or whatever so we were just going back and forth it, it was for hours actually i got there around two two in the afternoon and we didn't uh get the boat stabilized until five or six o'clock at night so um the sun the sun was down by the time we we made it back to base wow yeah. we had uh so we had four pumps going at, at one time. We had all four pumps running with the bilge and it wasn't keeping up. And uh, I believe it was uh, our pilot, um, Matt Matsuoka, Captain Matt Matsuoka now, um, who suggested uh, we go and retrieve the, uh, the inline inductor from the Coast Guard cutter Ahi. So he went and grabbed that for us. Um, Dropped it off, and luckily uh, was because we normally don't get training on that. But uh, I had knowledge of that from my buoy te buoy tender years, being on the damage control team, and nice. and fire main. So, so when they make you uh, draw the fire main to get qualified as a watch uh, stander, um, it's not all for nothing. You know, you do learn from these things, <laughs> and, uh, and through that, doing all that damage control uh, syllabus on the boat. I was, uh, you know, had the training to know how to hook up that inline eductor and get it incorporated with the fire main. And 
basically what that does is it takes it's it's the venturi effect right you, you know yeah. uh, we, we use those to suck down our rafts the amount of air that goes into the in inductor it gives the, the venturi effect and as it passes um, another valve in there or uh, part of the manifold it creates a vacuum and it starts to suck the same amount of pressure going past it sucks it in so whatever that fire main's pushing the fire main was much stronger than the pumps that we had running and that was able to uh, give us that headway to actually start uh, offloading water to the point where, where we we're floating but there was a there was a moment in there uh, and I talked to Alima about this we were we were starting to list so bad and we had taken on so much water um, that uh, we were telling we were telling guys to get out of the spaces and it happened uh, twice where the boat took a roll and it, it this was a, a catamaran it's it wasn't your normal 200 uh, foot boat it was basically two 200 foot ships with a big superstructure behind it and okay. one of those one of those ship sponsons that was the side that was flooding the other one um, wasn't flooding obviously but it created this uh, kind of teeter-totter effect. So almost a, a worse scenario than if you just had a single hull. The single hull, uh, it's it's gonna balance on itself, but with that extra response, and as that one gets lifted up, it wants to um, keel over. Um, so we had a couple instances where we took a swell and uh, the sponson on the starboard side was so full of water that it kind of stopped and and bounced on that and the lights flickered and everybody stopped and looked at each other. And we're all thinking the same thing. We're like, this is it, we're going over. And then it would, and then it settled back down and nobody said anything, just got back to work. And that happened wow. a couple of times. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty stressful. Um, one of the things I thought of, you know, days, weeks later or whatever, if I could have done anything differently, I've, Probably because you don't know the map of the ship, I would have taken a trail line and hooked it to a handrail on the outside and used that as like breadcrumbs to get out. Because if you're in a ship several decks down, you don't know the, you don't know the ship at all. And then if you flip it upside down and turn the lights out, you're in a maze, right? Oh yeah. So, um, I, if I were to do it again, I would I would try to use that technique and and use the trail line to walk down to the space that I was working in. So if something happened like that, if I could make it to that trail line, I could use that as a lifeline to get out. What a uh, great idea! Yeah, yeah, just things things you don't think about until you're in a situation where you might need something like that. You know, yeah, bread use the trail line as breadcrumbs to get out. But luckily, we didn't have to. We didn't have to get out of there, but it makes you think about these kind of things, right? So yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I got a couple questions for you. So yep. first one, are you, it was the with the pumps because they were on three different decks. They, were you pumping water to another deck and then out out of that deck? We tried we tried that uh, for a little bit, and it was uh, that was a lot of work. So we were pumping up into a pump can, yeah, and then having and then having another pump draw out of that pump can over. Um, but that was it was really tedious and if one one pump quit either the one sucking out of the pump can or the one putting into the pump can if the one drawing water into the pump can quit then yeah. it would go dry which would kill the the, the second pump 
And then if the second pump died, then the first one would just fill up that pump can. And now you've got a deck up above that's filling with water. So oh my yeah, gosh. that was a lot of work. Um, we eventually found uh, the the fire hoses on the ship actually had the same fitting as the pumps. We found that out through trial and error after about two hours. And we started using the fire hoses as the discharge hose. And they weren't, it wasn't pumping out like the solid uh, filled hose you normally see because yep. of the static lift, but we were moving water and we had to tend the pumps and, and keep keep uh, keep it primed because of that extra lift and everything. But that ended up working also. Wow. Uh, not pumping at the full pump capacity, but it worked. So um yeah. that's crazy, man. Yeah. What was your all right with the with the helicopters? So you're the second swimmer on scene. Um yep. the two of you guys are working together. Is there I mean five hours you're talking on scene? Those helicopters aren't saying were they going back and forth, back and forth? They were going back cover? and forth. It was okay. it was probably a 40 minute transit. So oh um, wow. So they were shoot going back and forth and refueling, st sticking around for a, a bit. We had to see what 30 flying overhead too. That was um, you know, and then eventually the cutter Ahi showed up, but they had a good steam to meet up with us. By the by, the time they showed up, it was the sun was going down and things calmed down and and it, it was stable and the and the boat was able to start making way back to uh, safer waters and uh, yeah back to port. So. Wow, man! Well done! Holy yeah. cow, dude! The that's pump, awesome. Pump rodeo. That was a pump rodeo case. <laughs> 50 was it 54 million dollar boat 40 yeah. people on board and yeah, mostly students they're all college students uh it was a NOAA research vessel i believe that was i don't know if it was a navy boat or is maintained by the navy or they helped NOAA maintain it but it was it was a unique boat for sure i had never seen a, a, a vessel like that so yeah <laughs> it was wild holy shit dude Oh gosh, that's crazy, dude! Well done, well done. Thanks. Um, all right. Anything else that stands out to you in Hawaii? Oh man, I just missed the place. I gotta get back there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean Hawaii. Um, again, yeah, different op tempo. We had uh, Hawaii Fire Department HFD. They had their own uh, search and rescue, surf rescue mostly. The, uh, I'm sure you've seen Hawaii Five O and, and stuff yeah. like that. They're, they're little, yeah. they're little yellow birds, right? Oh, cool. Or no, it's a little MD helicopter or something, right? Like it's, it's a uh, tiny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Single, yeah, yeah. single engine, one pilot, no flight yeah. deck. Uh, I think yeah. it's an MD. They only do long line stuff. It's pretty yeah. gnarly what they do, but yeah. yeah, yeah. But they would end up normally taking. They would take the majority of the surf rescue cases and anything on shore kind of cliff type stuff um i worked with them once on a uh, hang glider uh that went down uh just off of diamond head but they usually handle that stuff so you, when when uh, i was getting uh 
transferred out to Hawaii. I'm thinking I'm going to do some surf rescues type stuff like that, you know, and, uh, but no, they, they handle most of that. We do the stuff um, after sundown because uh, we have the NVG capabilities and stuff like that. So did have some surf cases at night, but usually surf cases at night, if the person hasn't made it in and it's, it's big enough surf, you're not, we, we would rarely find anybody uh, after dark. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, we would get the majority of the stuff we would get is was offshore stuff, boats taking on water, people getting lost. So yeah, plane crashes, that kind of stuff. Jeez, uh, oh man. Yeah, Holy Hawaii, God. Hawaii was a good time. Yeah, you're right, awesome. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one spot I haven't been to yet. I need to get out there. So. It's probably good. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah, oh, we'll make it happen. Okay, <laughs> I like this idea. We're going to divert real quick to thank our sponsor. Axness, the Axness PNG wireless ICS system delivers cutting edge wireless ICS technology to any aircraft as a fully integrated system or as a carry on, carry off mobile base station. The PNG wireless system is the right solution for any mission. All right. In that case, if we're uh, we're gonna move to Houston, Texas, so you roll into Houston. Houston is another kind of busy unit or busier, similar to yep. New Orleans. And I don't think it's as busy as New Orleans, but you still have offshore rigs. You've got stuff like that that's out there. Yeah, very, very similar. Yeah, you're you're doing the same same type of vessels. It's a very similar community, you know, fishing type stuff, some cruise ships, uh, some recreational fun out there. So yeah, love it. And while you were there, you uh, you were part of a hurricane that came through, which just so happened was Hurricane Harvey. In that, yeah, you actually earned yourself uh, a second air medal. So congratulations mm -hmm. on that, as well as because you were the chief at the time of the area and you were in charge of the entire operation. So you earned yourself a meritorious service medal. Congratulations on that. Well done, sir. Now, for me, what I want to do is I want to hear about you getting launched out. So let me read this one and then we get into the whole story. Citation to accompany the award of the Air Medal, Gold Star in lieu of second to Matthew J. Thiessen, Chief Aviation Survival Technician, United States Coast Guard. Chief Petty Officer Thiessen is cited for heroic achievement in aerial flight while serving as Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer at Air Station Houston, Texas from 27 August to 1 September 2017 during the historic response to Hurricane Harvey. Launching in 45 knot winds, ceilings less than 200 feet, and visibility less than one mile, with an air crew unfamiliar with the Houston area, Chief Pedersen Thiessen expertly assisted in navigating the aircraft through the dense urban infrastructure and deployed to a rooftop amidst live high-voltage power lines and towers to rescue civilians requiring immediate medical care. After triaging the evacuees and identifying the most critical individuals, two women in labor, he definitely directed the seven hoist safely through narrow corridor between the obstacles. Again, demonstrating bravery by launching into the dead of night 
with blinding rain, 40 knot winds, less than one quarter mile visibility, and cloud ceilings less than 150 feet, he assisted in navigation the treacherous and nearly invisible hazards to transport two critically ill children who were rapidly succumbing to their conditions in the overwhelmed hospital that would not survive without elevation to higher care. Using his skills as a senior emergency medical technician, his, he coordinated the first responders to prepare the patients for a time-critical transport. Chief Pettis' actions, skills, were instrumental in the rescue of 28 lives. His courage, judgment, and devotion of duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Matt! Dude, sick! Bro, congratulations. Also, a uh, little yeah. side note on that, chief of the shop. So a lot of times, and I'm just going to speak frankly, like you're you're in charge. It's the younger guys that are going out. That's not you. So right, right. Well, mad props to you for, for going, going with it, man. That's awesome. Well, the thing was, um, they had made, the skipper had made a call because we had so many um, people that were from other units not familiar with the AOR, he made the call that if anything happened after dark, because uh, air traffic control, radio towers were out, power was out everywhere. Um, so street lights out, radio towers, light weren't flashing. Um, so he made the call, only the people that were local could fly night missions. So once the sun went down, all the people that came and that, that was the majority of the people that were working at Harvey. Um, they all went to bed, did maintenance or whatever. But if, if you're doing any flying after dark, it had to be a full local crew, not just one person or two people in the crew. So it had to be a full. So the, the local people were taking it easy in the daytime. So we could still get stuff done at night. Um, obviously you, I wasn't, I wasn't able to really take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was the 36 hours of, uh, I think I got maybe three or four hours of sleep in that full three-day period. Uh, yeah, we stretched ourselves out pretty thin. Um, but yeah, I, Harvey was it, was, it was something for sure. And, and we got caught, uh, let, me, uh, let, me, let me start from the beginning, I guess. All right, uh, yep, 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 yep. So <laughs> Hurricane Harvey, um, it's projected, it's, it's coming in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, it, it passes the Yucatan Peninsula maybe two days prior to it making it to, to Houston, but it's tracking towards Corpus Christi. Um, but it's a big, it's a big hurricane and it's, uh, it's bands are reaching out. Um, and we're, we're seeing some rain, um, days before it showed up, uh, the day prior to it making its way up to Houston. We were between two giant bands. The bands were were straddling Houston, and uh, we we knew it was a bad hurricane. And, but it had the track had had basically settled on heading straight for Corpus Christi. So we kind of shifted gears um, at the air station. We sent the ready crew down south towards Corpus Christi to help those guys out because there's another air station down there. Um, and uh, they actually started having some SAR cases um, middle of the afternoon prior to it turning and heading towards us. Um, 
but like I said, the, the weather in Houston was beautiful. It was, it, um, it lulled us into a, a false sense of security. And we had, we had gotten all the gear ready. I actually have a really funny photo um, that I took with the, the leading chief, uh, Travis Cutler, the day prior because the skipper wanted to wanted to make sure we had all our gear ready. Of course, we had our gear ready, but we we had uh, our chainsaws. We had our heavy weather trail line bags. We had all this stuff spread out neatly on the on the floor in the swimmer shop, um, and we're like, we're ready to go. You know, bring it on, whatever. Um, all that stuff when the hurricane finally hit all that stuff that we had laid out on the floor was gone in like the first two hours. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was not, we ended up uh, sending, getting some guys to Home Depot to, to backfill a lot of the, uh, the equipment, got some more chainsaws, got some more axes and stuff. And we didn't use that stuff as much as they did in uh, Hurricane Katrina, but we were expecting that, that same kind of scenario. Um, so, but like I said, the day prior, we we were um, false in security. Um, we it was the night of the uh, Mayweather uh, McGregor boxing match. Floyd Mayweather. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh God, I it remember was, that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. that night, and it had been such a nice day, and people, everybody's like, "Oh, we're gonna go watch the fight." We had some neighbors. We got invited over to their house, and. The, the hurricane was a topic of conversation, but it wasn't really at the front of it, everybody's mind, you know? Um, so I'm there for maybe an hour and a half and then it starts raining. And uh, so people, some people come in from out in the back area, they had a little picnic area, uh, a pool and a barbecue area. They came in and they said, well, it's really coming down out there. Uh, the fight's going on, the thunder's really picking up. And um, all of a sudden, the spouses are coming coming into the room where we're watching the fight, and they're like, "The backyard is flooding. The the pool is is filled up with rainwater, and the water's coming up to the back door." Uh, and we're like, "Ah, you know, it's it's just it rains heavy here. We're fine." The neighborhood we were in, it wasn't a flood zone. Um, my neighborhood wasn't a flood zone. There's a big big storm trenches on either side of the roads all over the place. So um, never had a problem with, with heavy rain and uh, drainage or anything like that. Uh, by the end of the fight, it is, there's a foot of water out in the backyard above the pool deck out in the front of the house. Um, I go to, I, I gather the kids and, and my wife, and there's another family. They drove from our same neighborhood over to this house in a, a small um, compact vehicle. And their car was had already had water up to the bottom of the doors. They're like, we're not going to make it home. I said, jump in my truck. I had an F-150. I said, hop in with me. Uh, I'll take you home. No big, no big deal. As I start driving, I, I start to realize this is more serious. We're, we're driving on the high end of the road. And the truck is is making wakes, you know. It's it's oh, not over the hood gosh. quite yet, but but it had only started raining maybe an hour before this. So the amount of rain that came down was it was just unprecedented. And so I I tried 
going into our neighborhood several different ways, but to get into our neighborhood, there were some low areas where we were taking water over the hood and I'd have to turn around and go, okay, let me try this other backside. And um, hindsight being what it is, I should have done what I saw a lot of people doing. They were at a, a strip mall parking lot. The, the cars um, of people that were trying to get into the neighborhood, they, they had parked there in higher ground. There's a couple uh, police cars there with their lights going, you know, and we're like, now I'm going to make it home. Going to make it home because I'm thinking I got to get home because I got to get into work. I got to drop these these guys off and, and get back to work. So we're making our way. I'm going through this low area. The water's starting to come over the hood. And uh, there's a there's a car that had been abandoned right in front of me. So I had to go around it. When I went around it, one of my wheels drops into the storm, storm uh, drain. So it's the lowest point in that road there. And uh, and I'm basically, I start spinning my wheels and try backing up, try going forward, try backing up, and, and I'm stuck in this storm drain. Um, so now we're in an egress situation. So I'm like, everybody out, we hop out and, and they're jumping out, my kids, uh, my wife, these people that we gave a ride into stomach deep water. And when they, oh once, once they hop out, uh, the weight, their weight is out of the car now. Now my truck starts to float because I've raised up. It was that deep. Uh, I climb into the back. My daughter, uh, Layla, is in her her car seat. I unbuckle her. She's sleeping, um, and she she tells me her her uh, when she recounts her memories of me taking her out of the car and just getting rained on and putting her on my shoulders, and uh, we just start walking into the neighborhood um but we're still several blocks away from our house um and my daughter avery sees a water moccasin zip by um there's Holy people cow. there's there's people out on the front porches it's kind of like what are you guys doing walking out in this uh area but um the people that we had given a ride to they had some friends that lived just a block away so we make our way to their house and they take us in um and uh yeah it was it was crazy trucks floating away um <laughs> we're in some stranger's house now um and then i start getting texts from our ops boss uh commander sanborn at the time um and he's asking for um locations and addresses of the guys um because people aren't the people they're recalling people but people aren't able to drive and make it into the air station so nobody's getting the air station our b0 crew had already been sent off towards corpus christi um, we had two crews um corey sycott and i can't remember the other fella who had been um donated to us uh, earlier in the week from other air stations so we were at that point we're air station houston eight eight swimmers myself included plus up by two um, one of ours was down in Corpus, helping those guys out down there. So Ops is looking for crews now, and there's nobody that can make it in. So Ops starts texting me and asking me uh, for addresses of these guys. And I'm like, he, uh, like why, why do you want their addresses? He said, I'm coming to get them. Um, and he had this big blue uh, extended cab 
old I don't know 1980s 1990s uh f-350 i think it was i don't know okay so i said are you coming to get them in in big blue or coming to get them in big orange just joking around playing around like <laughs> oh, you're gonna come of course you're gonna pick them up in your big truck right and he comes back he says big orange and that's when it hit me I'm like oh crap they're <laughs> gonna fly out and pick everybody up from their houses uh and that's oh what they my did God, dude <laughs> that's what they did so they um they had one one uh plane that had a uh had a hoist that was disabled so they couldn't use that one for hoisting for SAR so they they basically used that plane for a shuttle to pick up people from their houses or I I was actually picked up uh from my daughter's school parking lot or or a a big a big uh soccer field right next to it um but I had I mean we had a hard time getting me to that field because there's so much flooding it was coming down so fast and uh yeah so definitely caught off guard and yeah all the swimmers flight mechs pilots they were all getting picked up in their in their cul-de-sacs at the end of their uh <laughs> road and from walmarts and, and whatever so oh it was my wild. gosh yeah i mean how badass of a story is that like uh and the coast guard helicopter lands what are they doing some dude runs out da, 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 da. Yeah, jumps in there for you to take off. Yeah, no. and the visibility was very low. So I'm thinking, okay, I don't have any flares, but I have some fireworks in the garage. So I took took a, a couple of fountains out to the yard, and I'm trying to light it, uh, but it's raining. It's raining so hard that it doesn't get lit. Um, luckily, I had a sleeping bag that was in a yellow case, and I was able to signal. Um, and uh, they they saw me because I didn't have a radio with me or anything. So I just told them the general area and and uh, signal form they found me. Uh, yes. oh and they had already picked up two other guys. Uh, the takeoff out of that spot it was it was definitely a confined area landing and takeoff, and uh, we had pretty sketchy takeoff with my weight added to the plane. They came up and then max power they were they were hitting the amber, which is you know maxing out the uh, the uh, gearbox of the engines and uh we were still eye level with the power lines that we had to clear so the pilot did a really good job uh, he backed us up as far as he could and sat us down we sat there for i don't know three three or four minutes to burn off some fuel but we couldn't sit there too long because we burn off too much fuel we're not gonna be able to make it back so we burn off as much fuel get as light as we could and then made the decision okay uh we, we were talking we're like okay we can what can we leave behind we basically had uh our essentials so we didn't want to leave anything behind so he's like all right we're going to pull back up into a max um hover and see how how high we are this next time we we get up and we're maybe power lines are probably level with the the landing gear so he comes down and then does a max power and basically we kind of bounced up over these power lines and then dove and got some forward airspeed and then dropped down over this neighborhood. And if you were in one of these houses, you, you probably get the crap scared out of you hearing a helicopter come screaming over over the top of your house and I don't know, probably 20 feet over over the rooftops. It was it was crazy, but I mean it had to be done and uh probably did an incredible job. So 
Wow. That was just getting picked up. That's just getting to the air station. You get yeah. picked up to go, then go to work. Oh man. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories. You could, you could spend an entire podcast. You should, you should do this actually getting all the, all the different guys from, from different uh, air stations. We went from eight swimmers plus up two swimmers. And then by the next day we were at 74 swimmers. We, by the time I left, we had 74 total swimmers there. And it was like, it was like hurting drunken cats, you know, cats on acid. I don't know. Oh, that's great. All of this. And, and every unit was sending junior swimmers. So it was me as the chief and a bunch of third and second classes, a couple first classes who did an outstanding job, but uh, yeah, the, the next highest, highest ranking person or the, the senior chief that relieved me didn't show up until three days later. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh, Tattoo yeah. Bob. I love Bob's. Yeah, yeah. Love Bob. Mm -hmm. um, another guy I would love to get on this show. Anyway, uh, I, I got to emphasize this though. But I mean, not only are you trying to corral and coordinate stuff as the chief, you're also flying the ops. You're doing the job, going out and saving yep. people. Like yep. that is, that's, that's a feat in itself. So you're burning the candle at both ends on this, on this whole right, thing. Right. And I, I learned really quick. I went out on one daytime sortie and uh, it, we, we flew back like a clown car. We picked up so many people. We filled the, the cabin up at age 60. You can fit a lot of people in there. I yes, think we came can. back. Uh, we came back with nine people plus a cat, maybe two cats. I don't know. And uh, yeah. And so I offloaded those and I, I quickly realized from that, it's like, I'm out here. I did that, but I don't need to be that guy doing that. So I, I pulled myself out of the rotation after that because it, there was just so much that needed to be done. And now we had enough swimmers. Enough swimmers were showing up at that time that we could backfill and, and fill the, uh, the, the schedule. So, so your, uh, oh, that was it. 80, 82 lives, 28 lives, 28 lives, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I you got it down. I don't remember the number. What, so what according you to your air medal, it's 28 okay. lives. All right. Okay. So in your 28 lives that you saved out of all that, you're talking, that was like day one, maybe day two. And after that, that you're pulling yourself off. That was day one. And that was, I only flew, oh, I only fl I flew on that, on the 60 and we, that's where we got most of the saves popping around, picking people up and, and dropping them off. And then, yeah, that, that final load of people, uh, I was like, all right, get, get another guy on here. But then I, I took myself off the schedule and saved myself for the, the evening uh, flights for the local crew. So. And still helping at night. So maintenance yeah. or not maintenance, sorry, uh, your your leadership and chief work and administrative work all day and then being ready yeah. at night. Yep. Going well above and beyond. As a matter of fact, yeah. I, you know, I, I know I said I wasn't going to read it, but I'm going to read a piece of it. This is well deserved, man. I, I just say it. So a citation to accompany the word of the Meritorious Service Medal to 
Matthew J. Thiessen, Chief Aviation Survival Technician. So what I want to point out in this is uh, throughout this unprecedented response, his ex expertly managed and unprecedented 75 Coast Guard rescue swimmers and 15 Air Force pararescuemen. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. It goes down a little further. 1,512 flight hours flown, 736 sorties, saving the lives of over 1,780 people throughout the city of Houston. So the reason I want to I want to emphasize that is because you earn that selecting and directing, guiding people where they need to do. And like you said, like trying to hurt a bunch of cats. Man, we're a bunch yeah. of swimmers. We just want to go get them. Yeah, on, I mean, it, it, it's understandable. They're all chomping at the bit. and uh, But there's still maintenance that needs to be done. Um, yeah. They still need to get their rest. Guys were coming back with, uh, with bug bites and rashes and stuff. So we had to set up a little makeshift uh, medical clinic for the swimmers, um, our, our our flight surgeon, uh, Doc Warner, uh, he and him him and the corpsman came in and they basically took my office over and turned it into a little clinic uh, nice. to, to treat treat the swimmers. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, the machine had to keep running and it was the hardest thing was the guys that came back bagged out, telling getting them to rest because they'd come back bagged out. They knew they couldn't fly anymore, but they wanted to keep helping out, you know, so yeah. they're looking for things to do. I'm like, if you want to do something, get your ass in a bunk and, and uh, you know, get rested up because this is still going on. And it did. It trailed on for several days after it left Houston. And a lot of the crews followed, followed the storm and its aftermath out towards Mobile, uh, out, out east as it traveled off. Yeah. 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 It was a it was a marathon. Damn, man. Well done all the way through. You, the crews, and everybody that was there. Freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had Graham McGinnis on here. He was talking a little bit about some of his stuff. So, I, I man, I love it. I love these stories. Get, it never gets old for me. I tell you what, man. <laughs> yeah, you should so. you should do a Hurricane Harvey. That whole uh, hurricane season, I think we had, I don't remember how many named storms, but some uh, three or four really impactful storms within like a month period. Uh, this, I think it was Maria that hit uh, Puerto Rico a couple weeks after Hurricane Harvey. Um, Jeez. I, I don't remember yeah. all of them. I remember being down and around the area though. Like just in yeah. and out of there. Gosh. Yeah. It was, it was a, a serious season for sure. Yeah. And the, the other two um, lives saved on my, it was the night, one of the night sorties that I took. Um, that was that was really surreal because I we know the area, but flying over the city of Houston when all of the, the skylines normally lit up, right? Yeah. Flying, we, we got approved to fly over the city um, and we were flying between the skyscrapers that were dark. And I, I actually called out a contact. I said, we got a contact at, at two o'clock. And, and the pilot's like, nope, that's us. We were, our, it was our position light reflecting <laughs> off of the side of the building. And like, oh, oh I, was unaided, I was unaided and they were under NVGs. So I was like, oh, we got a, I got a contact over here. But, but yeah, that was, <laughs> that was wild. And, as, and the ceiling was so low, uh, we had to stay below. I mean, we have a low visibility route 
coming down the highway and we were flying below they're really high uh, light towers but we were flying at the same level as the light towers and since i was unaided i didn't i wasn't able to see them until the lightning would strike and then i i'd see a cell tower pass lightning would strike and i'd see a, a, a light post go right past the, the helicopter it was it was wild oh my god man that's freaking sick dude wow damn man freaking awesome well done well done indeed damn all right uh anything else stand out to you at houston you want to talk about oh i not not really just to i mean i'm i'm the shop chief at this point so i'm i'm not flying as much as i had been at other uh at previous units um but uh got some got some good sar there had another case with a friend of mine mike dibble that stands out uh, probably because it, it's another case with a with another guy and this was uh some uh some more flooding uh wasn't a hurricane but it wasn't a name storm but some heavy flooding up in cypress texas um where we had to uh we we had to swim through some some high swift water and pull a couple people out of their houses that were flooding and uh mike and i ended up taking a lady and putting her in a cooler an igloo cooler and floating her out and uh yeah and doing some pretty pretty uh dynamic hoisting through tree canopies and past power lines and stuff like that I, and the last um last thing i did before we went home and wrapped it up is i, I was down checking out a house and a sheriff's boat showed up a sheriff a sheriff's fan boat came came around the corner in this neighborhood to check out the same thing and, and uh, see if uh, they could help out or anything and uh talk to the sheriff for a little bit and then uh hilo uh called down there at bingo so i was like all right i gotta get out of here the house is clear nobody in there um so the sheriff i waved goodbye to him and he he uh throttles up the the fan boat and kicks off down the road and uh as he does that, he does a little fishy tail and he blows this pile of dirt on me um, as he as he rides off. And, you know, I didn't think much of it. I had my goggles on, so it wasn't any big deal. Uh, then maybe two seconds later, I get lit up by these fire ants. It, that pile oh. of dirt that he blew on me it was a pile of fire ants and it just coated me. And uh, the flight mech said it was the... the he was he was dying laughing because I'm down there doing doing the the fire ant dance and ants my pants. Um, Literally, yeah so, yeah. so I went home with all kinds of whelps on me. So good times. Good times, man. Good yeah. times, bro. Yeah. This is insane, dude. I've had a blast talking to you. This is you've had one hell of a career. Uh, from from Houston, you ended up going back to Elizabeth City to which unit? To to ALC. So I ALC. Went, yep. ALC at ALC Tech for my first two and a half years. But now I'm at uh, ALC Prime. Nice. ALC. Nice. So this is my this is my Twilight tour, and I'm hanging them up here in a couple Damn, months. Man. So um there is one more thing I want to talk about, and, and that is we're going to give – actually, before I do that, 
let me drop a question to you because you've had an incredible career with some amazing rescues. You've been mm -hmm. flying and doing stuff. Holy cow. I mean, since you got started, since you got qualified, you've been rolling hard. Yeah. So out of everything you've done and seen, what advice would you pass on to the guys that are out in the field now, guys that are coming up, anything that stands yeah. out to you? I would say, and I think the, the new generation is already doing this with their social media and their their joy of filming their, themselves and everything. One thing that I regret is I didn't take enough pictures. I didn't, I mean, uh, you know, all the things that I've seen and I'm the kind of guy I like to, you know, I like to take it in and my wife gets mad. She's like, take some pictures. Like, no, I like to want to enjoy this. But there's uh, a, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And yeah, if I would, had taken more pictures, uh, I think, you know, it, it colors up the stories that you tell and, uh, you know, makes it more believable because some of the things we do are unbelievable. Agreed. And, uh, yeah. So Man, that's, that's take good. more pictures. Roger that. Hey, that's why I like carry multiple GoPros with me even now. Just going to say, I'm going to yeah. throw that out there. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. that authorized now? That was that was one of the things. Um, and that was one of my first uh, uh, projects when I when I got to Alsea. When we were in Houston, um, there were waivers. Um, there were waivers. I think they were granted initially for like the Discovery Channel up in Alaska type things for them to use GoPros and cameras in certain situations and whatever. But all in all, it was uh, frowned upon. Um, commands didn't necessarily want similar cases to be, you know, documented. You know, how, right. you know, kind of thing. And so, and maybe that wasn't the, the whole thing. But they, you know, another thing is we didn't want our swimmers to be distracted. You know, you're supposed to be doing your job, and if you're stopping and messing with a camera, so um, we were at Hurricane Harvey. Um, we were we were sitting in the shop about uh, is the second day, and uh, I think it was our uh, command master chief popped in. He said we got the approval to go ahead and use GoPro cameras if you got them, but none of the guys had them because it was frowned upon. So, wow! Um, yeah. When they gave us the the approval, I mean, if we had had a heads up, they could have gone to the store or whatever. But you know, it, uh, Hurricane Harvey snuck up on us. So we got the green light to use them, but we didn't have them. Uh, so, yeah, one of my first initiatives uh, when I got to ALC um, for Aussie projects was helping out with getting uh, the swimmers cameras approved. And uh, we use a couple different, uh, we approved a uh, Mohawk camera that goes, it's a low profile on the helmet. Oh, cool. It's uh, just, it's, it's swimmer, swimmer proof. So you just turn it on, it vibrates and it vibrates on, vibrates once to let you know it's on, vibrates twice when it turns off, but you set it up and you, you forget about it. So you just let it cool. run. Um, so we wanted something that wasn't gonna distract swimmers. We wanted something that wasn't gonna be a snag hazard. And um, so that's what we went with. We're now moving towards getting um, maybe uh, in the future, GoPro on the chest harness, but it's just, um, you know, now that the that uh, it's uh, approved and also uh, they encourage filming that kind of stuff because it's good publicity for the Coast Guard, right? 
Right, um, right. So we're, we're looking for ways to get that for good PR. And uh, so I think it's a good thing, as long I, as it doesn't dis distract from the mission, right? No, I, I agree. And actually, I don't want to take away from the get take more pictures because I agree with you. I, I wish I had taken more pictures while I was in. I wish I had taken more videos. Um, again, frowned upon when you and I during our time. And it was, I mean, heck, I remember it being in Humboldt, one of the guys trying to put a uh, helmet on a, or a camera on a helmet. And like one of the warrants came in. I was like, that's unauthorized. You can't do that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. It was. It was unless here. you got that waiver. Yeah. Right. Um, at the same time now, currently what I, I film everything now. And the reason I film everything now is more for training than anything else. So, sure. yeah. And, and it's a great training tool. And for myself too, if I want to get better, if I want to be better at my job, well then mm -hmm. review video, review it. I mean, look at every professional sports out there. What do they have? They have video on the field, video on the court. Somebody's yep. coming back and saying, look, you can do this, this, and this. Look at here, look at here. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. That's why. And, I and it's definitely, it's a, it's definitely a double-edged sword, uh, pros and cons. One of the yep. things um, we, at, at Alsi uh, Tech, we have a lot of guys that they keep up uh, with Instagram and stuff like that. And we bust a lot of guys at other units because <laughs> they'll film themselves and they're telling they're telling on themselves basically uh, with the equipment that they're wearing. If they're wearing something that's unauthorized, you see it right there. I mean, then we call up the unit. We're like, hey, we got we got a guy here. He's not wearing uh, authorized this or that, or his configurations is uh, not within regs. You know. Yep. We're not we're not here to police you, but we're just saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there is a standard. You're telling on yourself a little. Yeah. <laughs> so when I say take pictures, I don't necessarily always don't. I don't mean always taking pictures of your sarky stuff, but I mean when yeah. you're on a boat, take pictures of the boat. Take pictures of uh, you know your friends, your maintenance, everything. Yeah. That um, you know, the, just take the picture of the moose that's standing outside of your hotel window. You know that. Totally. If they haven't been up in Alaska, you know. Right, right, yeah. When you're standing on top of a glacier and you're like, "No, you didn't." Yeah, I got a picture yeah. to prove it. Yeah, yeah, I get it, dude. That's yeah. awesome, Matt. This has been an absolute pleasure, brother. I really, truly mean it. Uh, one little caveat before I let you go is we're, we're gonna announce this real quick. You actually have one more rescue that we didn't talk about right here. And if anybody actually picked up on it, it would be a rescue that earned you your very first air medal that was out of Kodiak, Alaska. And the reason we didn't right. talk about it is because we have you and the skipper of the fishing vessel hunter on in the next episode. So we get to sit down with you and the skipper that you saved uh, with a crew of four legit story i uh, it's absolutely incredible and I, i'm so excited to to let everybody hear that side because we get both sides of the story so i'm pretty stoked about that i look forward to it yeah totally uh bro Bring i it. can't thank you enough for coming on dude thanks for the stories and all the advice i love it thank you jake anytime love you too brother later bro and with, and with that ladies and gentlemen we are out of here so now, it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. 
For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard. Thank you for joining me today here at the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Axness, the Axness PNG Wireless ICS System, delivers cutting-edge wireless ICS technology to any aircraft as a fully integrated system or as a carry-on, carry-off mobile base station. The PNG Wireless System is the right solution for any mission. Boy, it's got some wheels. <laughs> when he goes, it's freaking impressive. First, we go for swimmer training, and then he wants to do sprints. Okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> right? Right, Rotor? Right? <laughs> oh. Good dog. Isn't that right, Rotor Blade? <laughs>